Well, anyway, nice to see you all, and uh, glad you're here. Uh, last night, I told everybody our goal was 22 minutes. If that goal had been a golf ball, we would not only have not hit the green, we would have gone through somebody's living room window. So, settle in. <laughs> anyway, hey, we're going to talk about what we're doing right now. We're going to talk about going to church. Why do we go to church? What's about going to church? The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you know the Christian church has been doing that for 2,000 years. And we're going to track with that a little bit. So let's pray together. Lord, could you give, uh, give us energy through the Holy Spirit to sink into our own hearts and produce change and life and vitality Help us to see Christ, the heart of our Savior. Show us something today that will make positive change happen in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. For 2,000 years, people have been gathering together like we're doing now. A couple thousand years ago and later on, archaeologists found stones chiseled out that had been put over the mantle, the door mantle, of poor homes. They were used stone because the small group of believers meeting in homes didn't have enough money to buy a new stone. And the used stone had, had been, the old message and words had been chiseled off and new words had been chiseled on to show that this is where the believers were meeting. We've journeyed from that into the 15, 16, 1700s when we can stand at the center of King's College Chapel in Cambridge, England with the almost magical mixture of granite and stained glass soaring above our heads or walk through the Crystal Cathedral in Orange County, California awash with light because the whole thing is built of glass. All of those because we get together. Now, I've been, uh, I've been in the church my whole life. I've been going to church my whole life. My mom was a Sunday school superintendent. She played piano in morning worship. I have no memory, no memory of not going to church. So I've been watching us go to church. I've been watching me go to church for quite a few years. I've been watching other people go to church. And there's a lot of reasons we go. I'm going to talk about three primarily. We're going to kind of look at three primary reasons we go to church. Then we're going to look at how they can sometimes get toxic. And then two ingredients we can throw into the recipe to keep going to church vital and full of energy and power in our lives. Because this ought to be one of the most energetic moments of our week. But you know, surveys show that for a lot of people, going to church becomes one of the most boring exercises. How does it get that way? So let's have a look together, shall we? So there's, there's about three reasons, there are others, but there's three big reasons that people go to church. All of them are in the scripture. One is for comfort. People get together to comfort one another. The Bible says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Scripture says, when all kinds of trials and tribulations crowd into your life, it states it as a given fact. 
Scripture tells us that you and I have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who has been touched and tempted in every way that you and I have. You know what that means? That means that whatever you brought through that door today, whatever weight you are carrying, whatever unknown looms before you, whatever worry is concerning you, whatever emotion you're possessing, that Christ, that there's something about the dynamic of what you are carrying that Christ has experienced. I don't mean he just knows about it. I mean he's experienced it. So that when he stands with you, he stands with you as somebody who has walked that road. And so we come together because in a broken world filled with broken people, we need comfort. We need, as it were, Jesus with skin on. Because you and I, we're called in Scripture the body of Christ. The physical representation of the presence of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. And so, we comfort each other. We need each other. And we go through things in our lives where you and I become Christ to one another. A few years ago, I was uh, traveling a lot, overseeing churches, and I just checked into a hotel in Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, I called home to Billings, and somebody else besides my wife answered the phone. And I just, like, I instinctively knew something's got to be wrong. And uh, Marcy had just gone in to see the doctor. She, had, she actually, she seemed fine, but she had this little, it wasn't more than the size of a, of a small potato, a little numb spot in the back of her leg. And she'd asked the doctor about it, and the doctor said, you yeah, know, I think we should take an MRI, and an MRI and within 48 hours a neurosurgeon had called and said, you know, you have a uh, you have a tumor. And the tumor is growing inside the protective sac that's around the spinal cord. And you know, tumors can either be kind of like encapsulated or they can be all intertwined with the nerves and hers actually was all intertwined with the nerves and a surgery that was going to be four hours became five hours, then six hours, then seven hours, then eight hours. And when the surgeon was done, he wasn't even sure if Marcy would be able to walk. The first things he said to her when she woke up was, Mrs. Long, can you move your feet? And I remember that day sitting in the waiting room. And the most distinctive thing about the day were the people who came and they just sat. They were just with me. They didn't come to wave some magic wand or to tell me either my, me or my father had sinned. They just came to be Jesus with skin on. And you and I go through, can I, can I be, can I be graphic? We go through crap. Where we got to have Jesus with skin on to remind us that something else bigger than what's right there in that room is going on and we can trust in that. And that's why we gather together. And we become Jesus to one another, representing his 
loving presence in the daily issues of our lives. And that's a good thing. The second reason we get together is for worldview affirmation. We come together to remind ourselves in a world where where just a million ideas and a million perspectives are whirling around like debris in a hurricane that there are some things that are bedrock that we can rest our life on. And we remind ourselves of these things. And so Paul is writing to the Galatians, and he says to the Galatians, he says, you know, I'm surprised that you are so quickly removed from the simplicity that there is in the gospel of Jesus. In fact, he says, it appears that you have been listening to people who are confusing you. So not just in this media-savvy age that we're living in, even in that day, there were a lot of ideas whirling around, and people would get confused. And so for, for, uh, for hundreds of years, we've had, for example, the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is simply a simple declaration of the bedrock truths that we can build our lives on, that there is a God, that that God exists in Trinity, and He sent His Son to live on this earth, the very earth you walk on, and experience life in every way that you've experienced life. And that this Son, Jesus Christ, died on a cross and broke the power of sin and rose again in resurrection life and ascended to the Father from whence He'll return. And that by faith in Him, we can be redeemed and have eternal life. These are bedrock truths, and we get together to remind each other of these things in the midst of the whirl of life. In the Old Testament, often when God did something special, He would tell the children of Israel, remember that a lot of stuff was transmitted orally in the Old Testament. And so He would tell the children of Israel to do things like, all right, put a pile of rock here. So that every time anybody goes by this pile of rock, they'll remember what I did and you can remind your children. We do that. We get together to talk about what God has done. And that's a good thing. That's something that helps us. There's a third reason we we come to church. We get together because it gives us a sense of belonging and identity. Being part of something that's bigger than we are. And uh, really, there, there used to be an idea that, that if you can get people involved, then they feel like they belong. But actually, belonging has more to do with walking in the door, looking around, and thinking, I see me. I see people like me. So I belong. I feel, I feel good here. Because there's an identification that goes on. And I walk in and I think, you know, I'm part of something that's bigger than I am. My life is not just some small little box, but actually, I need you. In fact, here, here's, a, here's a neat little thought. God has so designed us, because He's Trinity, means that He exists in relationship. He so designed us that there are parts of us we can't get to except through other people. Can I say that again? There are parts of me that I can't get to except through other people. And if I close myself off from other people, part of me never gets to be experienced or developed. Isn't that neat? 
So it isn't just like, I need you because I ought to be nice and need you. It's because I can't even be all of me without you. And so we gather together to belong. Now, these are all great stuff. That's good. These are all good reasons. If you're here for any one of those reasons today, that's good stuff. But after years of watching us come to church, there's something about those three things when left to themselves that has the potential to sour, to get stale, even to turn toxic in our life. So, for example, comfort. We come together for comfort. And it's a little walk from comfort to comfortable. It's not very far from comfortable to familiar. And it's not very far from familiar that anything that's disruptive to me can't be good. And so the church develops a culture of, that's not familiar. We didn't do it this way last week. Didn't last week we sing three songs, then the sermon, then three? What's this four and two? How could God possibly be in four and two? Three is a trinity number. <laughs> so we deify our little, our little familiar things and it moves us into the comfortable zone and soon we're actually in control. Remember, remember in the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan, who was a metaphor for God, Aslan was not a tame lion. We can kind of ratchet down Christianity and church going until we got it pretty, pretty well tamed. We know what's going to go on. We know what's not going to go on. We can kind of move in. Sit where we normally sit. Hear what we normally go. We normally hear. Go away thinking, that was pretty normal. Except God doesn't have to really show up in any of that. And so... I, I, I give you an example of this. I, I grew up in a I grew up in a culture where abstract art was considered an example of our fallenness, <laughs> and I believe a case could be made for some of it. <laughs> Nevertheless, yeah, well, I like art as a replicate a replic, replication of of true reality, and this abstract stuff can't be a replication of true reality. I mean, look at this stuff. Have you ever seen Jackson Pollock? I mean, talk about a mind that's dripping, you know. <laughs> and so, but you know that there's abstract art in the Old Testament. When God himself was telling his people how the high priests were to be dressed to go in to the Holy of Holies, down to the very emblems that were on the borders of the robe, he said, and on the borders of the robe, there were to be blue pomegranates. Except there is no such thing as a blue pomegranate. That's an abstract picture. But if comfort goes to comfortable, which goes to familiar, which goes to anything not familiar as a threat... Pretty soon, you see, 
or, or worldview affirmation. So we, got, we come together for worldview affirmation. But eventually, worldview affirmation turns to official discourse. So, hey, this is how we think. This is what we believe. This is how we act. And we kind of package that up. You come in the back door. We've got it packaged, a nice little wrapper, a little bow, and we say, here it is. We've got it figured out. And your job is simply to be grateful for the package. And, and really, Christianity just, just becomes about repeating everything. So, for example, it's like getting a Christmas present where the person gives you the same thing every year. And that the only thing changes is they change the wrapper. So you open up, it's a green sweater. Next year, you open up, the green sweater. Now you're up to 42 green sweaters. And, and really, the only job left is to think of another clever way to say the same thing. <laughs> Who wouldn't get bored with that? For example, like one of the first casualties of worldview affirmation run amok is curiosity. I mean, aren't there things you're curious about when you read the Bible or watch Christianity at work? Like, here's something I'm curious about. I'd like to ask God. In, in, in Titus and Timothy, he gives us a long list of characteristics of leaders, godly leaders. That's like 20-some things. This is a good list. Then... You go over to the Gospels and you think to yourself, who in the world was running Jesus' HR department? Because, because the picture we get of the disciples and the picture we get of the, of the uh, employee manual in Titus and Timothy are really a long ways off. In fact, Paul has a, a list in one of his books of about eight things that God hates and you can find, at the drop of a hat, you can find four of them in the disciples, the twelve. Think, well, what, what in the world's going on here? How in the world we get a list so precise about what you really should be if you're going to be a leader and then get such a motley crew picked by Jesus himself who display at least half of all the negative qualities in the, Old Test- in the New Testament? Now, I'm curious about that. And I'm curious about organizations who don't like to live with that tension. You know another thing? I'm not interested in being in an organization that treats my curiosity as if, if, as if it's rebellion. Because I think my curiosity comes from the Lord. It's not rebellion. And worldview affirmation can get the package so tight that everybody's on the receiving end of just, here's how we think, here's how we talk, here's how we believe, here's how we act. And you know, in effect, you're just taken out of the picture altogether. Your job is simply to receive the package and be awfully grateful for it. One of the, uh, one of the problems with this is it takes tension. I don't mean tension like a headache. I mean, tension like my son is a music teacher in Beijing, China, and he and I were talking about music and how tension 
and resolution are essential to exciting music. Not just music, but a story, even life, because people who like retire and then they go into a very sedate lifestyle, their, their chances of getting sick or even dying in the first three years are just enormous because there's, a, there's healthy tension. So I asked, I asked Brandon to come and, uh, come and help me with a little illustration about the tension that's in music. Um, I love working with Brandon. I was, I was telling Caleb earlier today, I said, to me, the greatest evidence that there's an alternate reality like the Matrix is musicians. <laughs> like, they're up fussing with stuff. I, I thought, I, I don't hear that. What, what, are they, what are they working on? Three guitars. What's that about? <laughs> but, yeah, they don't, yeah, there's not enough. You know, so anyway, so Brandon's going to play uh, four notes that involve tension and then resolution. Now he's going to play the first three and then just stop. <laughs> Don't you feel that? Feel it. Come. Get me to... Oh. All right. Thank you, Brandon. We like to rush to resolution. Oh. And, and it's in the nature of churches to, remove, to move, remove tension. When they do, they remove energy. You have judgment and mercy, law and grace, divine election and free will. Can't we, just, can't we just settle on one? But when we remove the tension, we're removing energy that the Holy Spirit works with. We're actually narrowing, boxing God in so he can only work in this little, little narrow track that, that allows me to function with resolution all the time. And... Uh, so, let's just, uh, let's work with uh, ordinary things now for a second, all right? So, this tension and resolution. Um, I, was telling, I was telling Brian, our lead pastor, that I, I said, I, I think we need a department of human development. Is really, so that's interesting. He says, would you use the word human? I says, yeah, because in the church world, human is a dirty word. If I suggested the Department of Human Development, I could guarantee you people say, boy, that's, that sounds pretty egotistical. That's, that's awful selfish, isn't it? I mean, where, where's Christ in that? Where did we ever get to, in order to lift up Christ, we must demean humanity? Because in fact, when God got done creating you, you know what he said? He said, that's good work. And when Jesus came to earth, Scripture reminds us that he was 
fully human as well as being fully divine. And part of why Jesus died was to redeem what was stolen and lost in you because of sin. And he champions who you are and the capacities he's created you with. And there's tension there that's healthy. Or let's take, let's take the idea of reverence. Um, reverence is a word that's in this, it's a theological idea about, in Scripture about how we should relate to God. And uh, like, for example, I, I wore this shirt on purpose today. <laughs> You're thinking nobody could wear that by accident. <laughs> because, because from reverence about who God is, the creator of the universe, the Holy One who rules all things, and that we ought to be responding in awe, he tells us, you know, I'm going to treat you like a friend. I'm even going to call you a friend, and I'm going to tell you things like a friend would tell you things. And the tension between the greatness and the awe and the sovereignty of God and God being a friend, that we casually wander into his presence feeling relaxed. It's not either or. Or how about this? How about this? Is it more important to talk about Jesus or to live like Jesus? I can tell you the answer to that. In the church culture, it's way more important that we talk about Jesus. You could get, I could get, if I don't talk about Jesus the right way, I could get into all kinds of trouble. But in many, many areas of my life, I could not live like Jesus and nobody's going to care a whit. So along with comfort becoming comfortable and familiar, reaffirming our worldviews can become official discourse and can button down the hatches and narrow what God can do. There's a belonging, and belonging can get to be about exclusivity, about who's in and who's out, who knows how to behave and who doesn't. Now if I want to come to church for comfort, and worldview affirmation and belonging, but I don't want those things to get toxic. What do I do about that? Because all three of those things are good reasons to be here this morning. Well, if I just add a couple things, if I add a couple things into that recipe, it protects this activity we do from getting toxic. And we'll just mention the two. I'll tell you two little stories, one for each one, and then we'll be done, all right? Something to add to the recipe that keeps this from getting toxic is coming to church to develop your personal mission. Coming to church to develop your personal mission. You were created in the image of God. That means the more like you you become, the more like Christ you become because you were created in his image. And he champions your personal development, your personal mission, 
And he has something more important for you than just cleaning out the garage. Which reminds me, let you know where I'm at at the moment. We have a goal that by, uh, by this fall, we'll be able to park both of our cars in the garage. All I'm going to say about it, that is pray for us. Now, if you like cleaning a garage, which I actually do, that's fine. But I never leave the garage, having worked on cleaning the garage, thinking that this was about my life mission. That you're on this earth to do something more significant than that. And there's no unimportant person in this room. There's no unimportant person in this room. And personal mission matters. Now, um, in June, I buried my father. My dad was uh, 86 and a half years old and uh, lived in one place his entire life. My father never moved from the place he was born, a little homestead up by Williston, North Dakota. And uh, he died on June 11th. And you know, as a side note, I had no unfinished business with my father. I didn't actually know what that would feel like until it actually happened. And how sweet it is not to have unfinished business with the significant people in your life. My dad was far from perfect and had seasons in his life where a lot of stuff went went awry. But I always knew I could go home. I always knew that I was loved. I'd drive up to Williston regularly to see him in the nursing home and take care of some of the family affairs. And uh, we would hug. We would tell each other that we loved one another. We'd kiss each other. We didn't have anything unfinished. And when he died, there was a buoyancy in my spirit. Now I've worked with people long enough to know that that's not a journey that everybody's on. Having just gone through it, can I encourage you that if there are significant people in your life with which you have unfinished business, that not in your timing, but in God's, as we see in the life of Joseph, but but nevertheless, that internally you commit yourself not to finish life with unfinished business with the most significant people in your world. At any rate, he had one great flaw. And... uh, we had a little DVD that we showed at the funeral, and if this it runs three minutes, I'm going to show it to you, and then I want to talk to you about that flaw because it's connected with mission. Now, as you watch this DVD, I just want to let you know ahead of time, you'll see a couple of unusually intelligent-looking children, and uh, please appreciate that. So, <laughs> All right. The chimes of time bring out the news Another day is through Someone slipped and fell Was that someone you? You may have longed for added strength For I have news for you 
Some guy, wasn't he? My dad's great flaw is that all through his life, he let things and people and circumstances steal away his dreams. He grew up in an era where the farm place was about 11 and a half acres, and uh, next to the house we grew up in was the house that he was born in, six-bedroom, two-story house. My dad never saw an empty space he didn't want to fill. And so, 86 years in one place, there was just stuff everywhere. And about four years before he died, I, I came home and I said, we got to start cleaning this stuff out. And uh, I started working on the old house, and I really thought about 95% of the stuff in that house was junk. I mean, like, he had one whole room full of tires. I said, I tell you what, Dad... How about you can keep any tire that fits something that you own? <laughs> I won that one. <laughs> you know, he just... But I started working on that old house, and that night I came out, and he was sitting out on the fender of the pickup parked by the old house crying. I said, what's wrong, Dad? He says, dreams. He says, I just... There were so many things I wanted to get to. He had a bunch of wood in that house, and he wanted to build... He loved birds, and he wanted to build a bunch of bird houses but he never got to it. He had an old riding lawnmower. My dad could fix almost anything like many many fathers and farmers in those era could. And the riding lawnmower didn't work anymore, but he wanted to take the four tires off of it and build a little cart that he could pull around and put leaves and stuff in it. 
But that riding lawnmower had sat out there in the yard for 10 years or more. And so when he was up helping his nephew, I loaded that thing up with a bunch of other stuff and took it into town to the dump. The next day, he drove into town to the dump to see if he could retrieve it. And you know, for sake of relationship, he never said much to me, but any time my brother had come, he'd grump about that riding lawnmower being gone. I said, Dad, how long was that lawnmower there? 10, 12 years? Yeah, I said, just sitting there. It could just as well have not existed. One of the most sacred things in your life is your personal mission. It's one of the things that aligns you with being created in the image of God. Jesus himself said, I must be about my Father's business. And your life is more than just an accumulation of busy activity. It was designed. God gave you the capacities to do something that mattered. And don't let that be stolen away. Don't let time and trivia and people steal from you a mission of significance for your life. And when coming to church includes getting energized and instructed and helped and partnered for some valuable mission, some good purpose, you are walking as close to Christ as you are doing anything else you would do. There's a second thing that if you throw it in the mix, makes coming to church energetic and coming with anticipation, and that's personal growth. Personal growth. When Jesus said to the disciples, listen, you follow me and I will make you, he was saying to them, I'm going to invite you into some change you can't even dream of at the moment. And personal growth and development, knowing that I can get rid of historical baggage in my life that has been holding me back, knowing that I can increase my capacities, knowing that I can build and enhance my relationships, knowing that my character can be refined, you have personal development that will not only bless you, but will become a beacon to other people. Let me finish with this. Uh, Friday night I was down at the Zebra Lounge. <laughs> what? What? Don't prejudge me. <laughs> I went down to the zebra, and uh, <laughs> you know they don't even they don't even start playing till ten thirty. What's with that? When we lived in Portland, Oregon, I used to uh, go down to this Starbucks in a little suburban area called Milwaukee, and. There was a guy down there named Paul who worked at Starbucks, and then he started a band, and his band was going to play. One of his first times it was going to play is up a little place called Buffalo Gap, and I was developing a relationship with some people. I said, Paul, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come hear you, and I brought some friends, friends that first night. We filled the whole table at the Buffalo Gap, and they play kind of rhythm and blues, funky kind of music, a little, a little ways down the road from George Jones, but still, you know, and... I'd come and listen to him, and I'd, week after week, I'd bring some other friends. And, and Paul was kind of into, you know, I don't know. Some people call it, would call it like New Age. One of his favorite books was, was Jonathan Living Seagull by Bach, and he gave that to me to read. And so 
it, he was going with Allie, a lovely gal. She was pretty heavy into Zen Buddhism. And so my wife Marcy and I began to visit with him. We'd go down to Starbucks and we went out to eat with him. And he gave me Jonathan Living Siegel and I gave him Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And we went to the floating of the Island Cafe, which is a little floating cafe out outside, just floats on one of the little channels on the edge of the Columbia River. And uh, we talked about Christ and about Christianity and about the capacities of life. And that was like four years ago. And we just tried to, you know, the Bible says some people, some people seed and others water and God gives the increase. And so we just tried to seed a little. Well, here, I was looking at a little poster here this week and Intervision, that was his group. Intervision was going to play in Bozeman, Montana at the Zebra Lounge. I thought, what are the chances? So my daughter Natalie and I, Friday night, go down to the zebra. We're sitting, we kind of sit in the back, in the dark. It's dark in there. <laughs> I'm just explaining that because I know most of you don't even know where the place is. So, just <laughs> so, and the band just comes right out and starts playing. And, you know, 10:30. They played for 50 minutes. The first, I mean, by now it's it's 11:20. So. <laughs> Anyway, they finish up and uh, the first set and they're putting their instruments down and so I hop off my chair and, and head up and I'm like halfway across the room yet and Paul looks up and, and this is what he does. He looks up Derry! Four years in the dark. Remember, their topic is personal growth. Do you know how much, having spent my whole life in church, do you know how much I had to unlearn in order to have a band leader into Zen Buddhism and New Age feel that I cared about him? I wasn't all wrapped up in my Christianese language and my neat little package. The incarnation is Jesus coming to our world, God with us. And one of the most sacred moments of the last six months of my life was Paul raising his arms and calling me by name because he knew that I cared for him like Jesus with skin on. And if I can unlearn all of that in order that someone else knows I'm aligning with them, all of us have great stuff to learn. And that takes this hour or so, and along with the comfort, the worldview affirmation, and the belonging, that sense of personal mission and change brings energy because every week there's a new surprise about how our lives are going to go. God takes a personal interest in what's going on with you. He'd like you to do the same. Well, I think that's about it. Would you set your things aside as we finish up today? And Can I invite you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and nobody looking around. We're not going to embarrass anybody this morning, so just be relaxed and 
Could I ask you, do you have a sense of personal mission? I want my life to be about something. I don't want everything to get stolen away as I journey through it all. I want to be able to stop at a certain point and look and say, you know, look at this. With God's help, look what, look what I get to be building. And is there something you'd really like God's alliance with in working in your life? There's some personal development and some growth. Today, that can start. Just where you're seated, you could pray a prayer. A prayer like this, Lord, I thank you that you are so passionately interested in what's going on in my life. I don't want anything to steal away from me. I don't want to lose what you've created me and put me on this earth for. There's areas of my life I want to grow. So Jesus, would you come into my heart today? Would you align yourself with me and help me align myself with you? forgive how I've not been involving you enough in the past and meet me, meet me in this place this place that I am in my life right now and take me on a journey of growth and mission just where you're sitting you could pray a prayer like that right now we're just going to wait a little bit if you'd like to ask Jesus to come into your life to align himself with your heart, to begin to make your mission clear, to help you choose something noble and good. You just ask him right now, right where you're seated. looking around, everybody's bowed their heads, their eyes are closed but just to honor Christ, if you're praying today, you're asking Jesus for that would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say I'm asking the Lord to meet me and give me a sense of mission yeah, I see that way over here on the right a lot of them in the middle here, up in the front over on my right, more on my left, up here in the front as well yeah, way in the back here in the center over here on my right, up here near the front. Yeah. Way to go. Over here on my left. Lord sees that, you bet. Father, thank you for your investment in our life. Thank you that in this room there are no unimportant people. For these who slipped their hands up this morning, I pray you'll just rush grace to them right now. Rush your resources and your power to protect and sustain the decision that they're making. 
Bring someone or something into their life this week to just affirm that what they heard you say today that you're going to champion and that they can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.